Welcome and good morning, everyone. I'm Brian McLean, one of the elders here, and I have the privilege of sharing the message this morning. I'm not sure what you guys have done wrong. However, Matt is seated, and I'm preaching, so I would expect you to straighten up, so he'll be up here next time. So, we're going to continue in Ephesians chapter 5, and what I'm going to do is open up in prayer, and then we're just going to jump right into the, to the meat and potatoes of it. Um, but real quick, uh, those of you that don't know me, I'm typically pretty direct, uh, pretty black and white, and sometimes when I say stuff, it comes across as kind of like a, you know, Matt preaches with a scalpel. I tend to be more chainsaw-ish. Um, and so if, if something resonates, you know, it's not my, it's not my intent to, to hurt or to point out, because as I spent the time studying this, this was also reflected on me, and you'll learn more about that later on. Um, and also, I won't apologize when the Lord convicts, so um, don't blame me, blame God's Word. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks, Lord, for uh, just for your Word, just the, the, the love and time that you poured out in it for your people, Lord, that it would help us understand you, help us understand your Son, understand the relationship you desire between you and your creation, Lord. And so, Lord, as we spend time in and continue to study Ephesians, Lord, um, I just pray that it would be worthy of the work you put into your word, Lord, that it would resonate, that it would change lives, that it would um, work on my heart and the hearts of others, Lord. And Lord, if there's anything that is of not value, um, just let it fall to the ground. And so we just lift this time up in your son's name. Amen. All right, so Matt started us out with verses 1 and 2. Uh, follow God's example. Walk in the way of love as Christ loved us. Let it be this fragrant offering. And then Craig transitioned into, but among you, this pointing out to the church that there's things that need to be addressed, um, things that are contrary to Christ, as well as that reminder of where they came from, uh, that they were once in darkness, but they're now in light. And in closing, in Craig's portion of it, um, we had verse 14, which was this reference to Isaiah 60, verse 1. And it says, For anything that becomes visible is light, therefore it says, and this is our quote, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. And so now we pick up in verse 15, and the reason I read 14 is 15 basically takes a moment and points us back to all that, that Craig presented last week. And so I'll go ahead and read through 15. So if you want to look up, 5, verses 15 through 21. I'll go ahead and read it. And actually, let's do something a little different because everybody looks a little comfortable. Let's go and stand up. This is God's word. Let's stand up. Let's give it its full attention, the attention that desires, or that it deserves, I should say. And so I'll go ahead and start us off here. 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord is, or what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everyone to God the Father in the name of your Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that is God's word. Please sit down. That's found kind of harsh. Please be seated. (laughs) 
And my touch screen doesn't like my touch sometimes, so. Um, look carefully, then, how you walk is where he picks up. <clears throat> so because of what has been outlined and stated to the church, he says, now look carefully, then, how you walk. We need to examine ourselves. There's ugly truths about me. There's ugly truths about all of us. And in Job, we started a study in Job last Monday. Uh, we get together at 6 o'clock here and, and get in the book of Job. There was four of us, I think four of us. Um, but in the book of Job, it starts out, chapter 1 and 2 almost starts out identical in these phrases I'm going to share with you here in a moment. Um, but it starts out in 8, and the Lord said to Satan, and this is where it's mirrored in verse, uh, verses uh, 1 and 2, or chapters 1 and 2, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless, upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And so we have this account, this is God making this uh, claim of Job to Satan, which that's a pretty lofty, pretty high praise there coming from the Lord. But yet in verse 15, uh, 13, 20 in Job, he says this, how many are my iniquities and sins? Make known to me my rebellion and my sin. And so even with God's accolades of Job's walk, Job himself says, you know, seek me, bring this to my attention. He had this desire to examine himself, to be upright, that if there's this, anything in his life that needed addressed, that it would be addressed, be brought to his attention. And in Psalms 4, 4, it reads, Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still, Selah. You know, when we, we have to examine ourselves, we have to take a look at ourselves. Um, when we have those quiet times, what do we use that quiet time for? In Lamentations 3.40, let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. Scripture tells us to examine ourselves, to honestly seek whether or not we're rebelling against the Lord, because that's what sin is, is we're rebelling against the Lord. And not by the standards of man, and that's, I would argue, a huge issue with our Western culture, is we are so concerned about man's standards, the world's standards, but man's standards don't even factor into salvation. <clears throat> um, they're not even a footnote. The reality is that Christ is the standard bearer. We need to examine ourselves, and if we are walking in stride with Christ, or are we walking in stride with the world? So there's that need to carefully look at ourselves. And then it continues on, but not as unwise, but as wise. And when I'm in Scripture... <clears throat> I am weird, and I understand that, but I'm okay with it. I assume that words are in there for a reason, specific words for specific reasons. And so when I see the expression as wise and unwise, I mean, we have, obviously we have a contrast, right, in this context here. And so in my head I'm going, what does the Lord consider wise? What does he consider unwise? Proverbs 9.10, <clears throat> the Lord, or sorry, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 15, 14, the heart of man is, the, as I were, the heart of the man of good sense goes in search of knowledge, but foolish things are good, are, I'm sorry, are food of the unwise. And so in here we see that, that reverent fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that seeking that knowledge and inside the Holy One um, is knowledge. Um, the fools do foolish things and unwise things. And in Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 6, 9, he writes, 
But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many unwise and hurtful lusts, which plunge men into destruction and ruin. You know, in here, you're talking about just this pursuit for wealth and fame, you know, kind of like that, uh, you know, I'm of an age, I remember the old Bugs Bunny cartoons and Elmer Fudd where you got the snowball that starts as, as this pebble and it continues to gain, gain speed and mass. And when we pursue things of, of wealth and fame, it just continues to build and build eventually to our destruction, much like in the cartoon when it hits a tree and, you know, the character, you know, comes out and it's like, I, I, I. <laughs> and so that pursuit leads to destruction, in Psalm 14, 4, it says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool in his heart says there is no God. Oblivious to everything around them. All that has been created. That was Brian, not Psalm. They are corrupt. They do not abolish deeds, or they do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. We see... We see a demand, dismantling of God, <clears throat> the pursuit of worldly things, in place or in replacement of the Lord and salvation. That leads to destruction. The world would deny that he exists, would deny that there's salvation through the blood of his son. Quote, a fool who is corrupt. We who pursue the faults, pursue the world, pursue the standards of man, are setting our sights on a false hope. <clears throat> and when we lose hope, that's when things can get gravely bad. It's not that you can't have nice things. It doesn't say that in Scripture. We know that King David was very wealthy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and the Lord doesn't want you miserable. He does want you to be blessed, but how he defines being blessed is different than we would by earthly standards. First and foremost, the relationship with him is his desire. The relationship with his son, that we would set our eyes on the eternal as opposed to the things of the world. And again, this doesn't mean we can't enjoy life or you can't have wealth. But what is our priority? What is our influencer? But look at it, and also, you know, look at how many times where in our mind we say, if I only had, if I just had this fill in the blank, this truck, this new fishing pole, this, you know, this new... Benelli over and under, you know, whatever it is, you know, this new Perth, whatever it is. <clears throat> um, once we achieve it, what happens? Days, moments later, it's, we're off to that next shiny thing, right? It's a temporary. We have this hope in this widget. We get this widget. We cast it aside, and we're off pursuing another widget. And if you don't believe that, just take a, like a two- or three-year-old who has a toy in their hand. And you pick up another toy, and they see that toy. What do they do? <laughs> Mine. Right? They want that. And I'm not much different. I won't chastise all of you. I'll just say I'm not much different. <clears throat> and what Paul's telling us here in Ephesians is don't make foolish trade-offs. Don't trade off the eternal for something temporary and meaningless. Don't pursue those shiny objects. Don't be... As he said in verse 14, asleep or dead. Believers in Christ, and sometimes we forget this, or oftentimes we forget this, we focus on the short gratification, 
as believers in Christ, we are playing a long game. This is a marathon. We are, you know, we are not going to, well, how I drive, I might be there tomorrow. But it's, it is a long game that we're playing. Our hope is eternal in him. It's not in that trinket that I will get tomorrow. And we transition to verse 16. <clears throat> Make the most of your time because the days are evil. Um, there's a couple of pastors I listen to. Um, Pastor Richie, uh, the biking type, tattoos, goes to Sturgis, um, has done a ton in the missionary field, but he's sharing an account, and I think it weighs on him because um, it was the topic was sloth. But basically, you know, being spiritually lazy. <clears throat> and he says in this account that he worked on a military installation as a tech, and he's talking to one of the soldiers there. And he was talking about salvation and the Lord and things like that. And the guy's like, I have no interest. He goes, I'm having too much fun now. I will worry about end of life when I get closer to the end of my life. And not long after, this gentleman was killed in a jet ski accident, decapitated. And Richie just straight up says, you know, he's in hell. He denied the Lord, turned away from it, killed instantly. I see no way that he could be in heaven. And I think we oftentimes we forget that, that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And let's face it, we all know it. <clears throat> we don't like to talk about it, uh, but time is rapidly passing. We will die. That, that is a reality. It's only by the grace of God that I'm still here. <clears throat> In the game of life, no one gets out alive. No one gets a free pass, an extension on life. In Ecclesiastes 12.7 it says, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Excuse me. We will pass. Knowing this, what are we doing with our time here? If we aren't deliberate, if we don't have a plan to be committed to the Lord, if we aren't committed to making changes in our life, we will be derailed by the world. The days are evil. And if you don't believe that, you don't have your eyes open. Just look around. Look at the television, music, commercials, um, even in the church. I, mean, I hate to say it, but even in the church. And this is going to be a daily battle. In the end, we don't want to be pleading for more time. We've got to make the best of the time that we do have here, live our lives in a, to the spiritual fullest, so that when our time comes, we'll be at peace when we we'll return home to our Father. I know that's easier said than done, but there's not a single one of us that wants to, when the time comes, say, I wish I would have. And then again, the days are evil. <clears throat> and if you don't believe this, you know, you're blind. Evil desires, evil speech, evil thoughts, greed, idle curiosity, unholy ambition. You know, we see unholy ambition in Genesis 11.4. Uh, and they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into the heavens and let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. Let us be like gods. And so we're going to build this great big tower, an unholy ambition. We may miss the picnic, guys. There's a spiritual war. 
And we have commoditized evil. There isn't anything that people today are not willing to sell or willing to buy. And we must guard against this. That's why we have things like community groups. That's why we have a church. That's why we get together on Sunday mornings. That's why we have small groups, journey groups, discipling that occurs with one-on-one, things that go on as a spiritual warfare that we aren't even aware of, people plugging into others' lives. And as a body of believers, we must hold the line. We must support one another when a brother and sister falls. Come alongside. Somebody's stepping into the gap. We lift our brother and sister up spiritually, nurse them back to spiritual health so that they can continue the fight. And if you don't believe that, look at the one another's in Scripture. There's 58-ish one another's, and so much of it is coming alongside one another and building each other up so that we can handle the long fight. And in verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I'm going to go through this section a little quicker. Um, So Peter Kroll writes this, and I thought it was interesting, and so I wanted to share it, but there's some length to it. And he says this, Proverbs, Solomon organizes people into three categories, the wise, the foolish, the simple. These categories are not dependent on age, class, race, race, gender, or social economic status. Rather, they determine one's direction in reference to the Lord. Those moving toward the Lord are called wise. A person is not perfect or intelligent, sweet, but rather a person who will gain understanding and change his life on based on what he hears in Scripture. Proverbs 1.5, uh, Solomon writes, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. The second, the foolish, they're those that move away from the Lord. Makes sense. This person is not an ignorant or uneducated person, but rather a person who doesn't want to change anymore. He thinks he's doing just fine on his own and doesn't need any more help, especially not from the Lord. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fool despises wisdom and instruction. And then the third type of person, those who are not moving at all with respect to the Lord on account of age, inexperience, uh, incapacity, or some sort of some sort are called simple. This person, not an unreligious or immoral person, or at least not yet, but rather a child or childlike person who is just starting out in the, on the path of life and thus is about to decide, you know, when they come to that fork in the road, what path they will take. <clears throat> it's critical to understand, however, that we cannot remain simple forever, he writes. It's okay for a baby to smear spaghetti in her hair, but by the time she turns 30, more is generally expected of her. Or more elegantly put, one does not stay still a man who is empty-headed will be wrong-headed. So we have these three types of individuals. Come on. There we go. So we have these three types of individuals. And just simply, where do you consider yourself? Are you in pursuit of the Lord? Do you feel like you're okay that you've got this? Um, <clears throat> I'll be bold enough to say that you're wrong. Or are you somebody who's new in the faith, that you're kind of seeing what direction that you want to go. So we see what a fool and somebody who's not foolish looks like. And Paul draws a conclusion, we don't have time to be fools. We look through this passage in 17, or this portion in 17. We don't have time to be fools. 
And, and the term fool or foolish is really a harsh, harsh word in the Greek. It actually is a, a, a very harsh insult. It's, it's to act without reason. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we, you know, he tells us, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. So what is the will of the Lord? And there's a difference between what God's plan is for you and how he will use you and what his will is. His will for us is that we'd be sanctified. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 10, it's kind of a long verse here, but it says this, God will, whoops, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Pretty straightforward. That you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own bodies in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust, like pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one, should wrong, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all of those who commit such sin as we told you and warned you before. So this isn't the first time you shared this with them. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, and the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Do we understand what God's will is for us? His desire for us is to be sanctified with Christ as that example. How do we live our lives? Do we do what he's called us to do? Do we operate out of obedience? Do we listen to the Holy Spirit uh, when the Holy Spirit is moving us? Or do we resist and follow our own wants? Excuse me. Are we in pursuit of sanctification or are we a fool? This is a contrast. We're either a fool or we understand the will of the Lord. And if we're not concerned for God's will in our life, odds are we are not concerned about God's will in other people's lives. And we're just living ignorantly, deceived by the world, and, it, and we are living in our own hearts. If we care about our own lives, our own sanctification, <clears throat> then we will have a heart and a desire for others to be saved as well. And let's face it, God loves you too much to leave you where you're at. That's why his word convicts us and he moves us towards righteousness. In this next part, <clears throat> it'll be easy to hear a part of it and just shut off, but I encourage you to listen to it because again, as I go through this, this has worked on me, probably more so than it will on anybody here. And do not get drunk with wine for debauchery, or for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So we've got this, this contrast here. This is not a comparison. This is a contrast. Wine, so Paul uses the example of wine because that would have resonated with the audience he was writing to, right? Wine was plentiful. Wine was an easy escape in this time. Um, and... and we have all seen somebody or have experienced the impact of drunkenness. We've either seen it or we've been there. <clears throat> and Paul is not saying that drink of wine is sin. The reality is the sin of drunkenness is an abandonment of self-control. That, that which makes us a slave of it is a sin and has control over us. And addictions or obsessions, obsessions, I threw that in there as well, are typically a way we run from the Lord. 
You can't show God joy in your heart if you're intoxicated, if you're under the influence of narcotics, if you're under the influence of your desire for wealth and power and status, if you're pursuing the almighty dollar, under the influence of your hobby and your earthly passion, hunting, fishing, sports, influenced by your sexual lust and pornography, influenced by food and running towards the snack of choice, influenced by the need to Netflix and chill, or be addle-minded with searching the internet for cat videos half your time. This is just a few examples. And here, we could easily say, well, he's just talking about just don't get drunk, don't, don't be addicted to something that's a stimulant. Anything that's an obsession, that's an influencer that takes you away, is an issue. And I, I didn't put who quoted this, so I can't take credit for this, and I apologize. But he writes this, a drunk or influenced believer is no more spiritually driven or moved than a sober unbeliever. A drunk or influenced believer is no more spiritually driven or moved than a sober unbeliever because the flesh is in control. So Christ is not seen. When any of these things of the world are in control, we are not spiritually driven. We are world-driven, and we're pushing the Spirit aside and letting the world rule supreme. Paul tells us here, rather become consumed by the desires of the Holy Spirit, not desires of the world, not desires by alcohol, <clears throat> whatever that is that draws you away from the Lord. So how do you escape? What is it that you run to? What is it that I run to when we're running away from the Lord? And really, the question is simply this. What's the Holy Spirit competing for in your life, in my life? <clears throat> and so again, this is a contrast. So to be in the Spirit, as we look at verse 18, y'all are kind of quiet. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to the Lord, or I'm sorry, to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so in 19, we see this proclamation and celebration. <clears throat> this is done from the heart, something done out of love for the Lord and others, done for the Lord and for others, not out of an act of duty because we're told to. What's that? <laughs> um... I'm back. Maybe not. Yes, I am. Not because we're told to, but because we want to. We desire, we don't do things because we feel obligated to. We do things because what the Lord has done for us. Verse 20, always giving thanks to everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. We give thanks in all things. We may not understand what we're going through in life, but the easy stuff in life is not what has changed me or built me up. It's the hard knocks that I've taken. It's the blows to the head that I've taken. <clears throat> there are those things that have, have grown me spiritually um, into maturity. And in 21, submitting out of one another out of reverence, serving one another. Um, you know, serving one another, allowing others to serve you is not easy. You know, we are... Um, very much a culture of, I've got this, I can handle this, I don't need the help. Um, and we shouldn't deny somebody's heart when they want to come alongside and serve you to help you. 
be willing to come alongside others uh, who need to work through things in life. You know, working out things in life is dirty. It is messy. When Christ washed the feet of the disciples, yuck, right? That, was, that would have been unheard of in that time. And that's not any different than our lives. Our lives are messy. And to come alongside people and help people go through stuff is messy. <clears throat> There's four things to note about this phrase, be filled with the Spirit. And this comes from a website, Strength for the Battle. Um, and they, just, they stated it so well that I wanted to share it. <clears throat> be filled with the Spirit. First of all, it is a command. This is not an optional extra. We can add to our faith if we choose. It is a command, so we obey it. It is for all Christians. So to be filled in the Spirit is not reserved for the spiritual elite. The words here are second person plural, you. Use guys if you're Italian. It is to be received. We cannot fill ourselves with the Spirit. This threw me for a second, just threw me again. It is to be received. We cannot fill ourselves with the Spirit. Only God can do that. So how can it be commanded if we can't do it? Right? If it's commanded, how can I do this? Because it's God filling me with the Spirit, but yet it's a command. There are many things that I can't do, but I have to be cooperative in, like a hospital procedure. I can't give myself heart surgery, but I have to cooperate. I can't flail about and fight during anesthesia. We must cooperate with God so that his work in us can be effective. And lastly, it's ongoing. The tense of this is present and continuous. It is day in, day out, ongoing and fulfilling. So be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command. As a Christian, we're called or commanded to do it. Receive it, don't fight it. And this will be ongoing until we are returned to him. And do we pursue being filled by the Spirit or do we pursue sanctification, or are we fools? Pursuing the world and escaping into it, allowing it to be our influencer rather than the Holy Spirit. And I'm moving a little bit early, and I debated whether to share this with you, because this is the first time I've shared this with anybody. Those of you in leadership, don't panic, okay? (laughs) Consider this part of a testimony. But as I was going through this, I'm a believer that when a person loses hope, at that point, they feel like there is not a point to live. And there's a point in time in my life when I was foolish, when I was influenced by the world. Um, I live like hell, and I've got the, the scars and that to show it. And at the age of 18, there was a point in my life where I felt so low and I had no hope that I was at a point where I want to take my own life. And this isn't even anything I shared with my wife. <clears throat> but as I was in the process, Something came upon me, and it didn't make sense at the time, only that what I was about to do was very selfish. Um, It was strange because it was my own voice that I heard, but whatever it was resonated with me, the car came to a stop, and I didn't give that much thought afterwards, other than a burden had been released. And I'm not a person who's curing science. 
And if the, the group wants to come up here as we prepare for communion, we'll go and transition to communion. <clears throat> there isn't anything in my life that I have done that would be celebrated by the world's standards. And when you have no hope, <clears throat> it is easy to feel like I serve no purpose here and I will check myself out. And I don't know that I had hope at that time, but later on in life is that realization that I have my hope in the Lord. <clears throat> I may not be doing grandioso things. However, he had a purpose for me, had a use for me. I was a sheep that he sought out and brought me back. And so, <clears throat> even though we're finishing a little early, um, and we get ready to wrap up here, and we transition into communion, um, if you feel like you have no hope, if you feel like there's a burden that you carry, and that's where I was at in life, this is the time to put it at the foot of the cross. There isn't any burden that is too, too burdensome to be redundant for our Lord. We look back, our hope is in our Lord, who, son, the Father, who sent his Son, who died on the cross for us, who shed his blood. We look now, we reflect on where we're at and those burdens, and we can drop them at the cross, and we look forward to the hope that is in Christ when we're restored to him. And so if you feel like there's this burden and you need somebody to come alongside in prayer, I'll be up here. You can see me. You can see one of the, anyone in the leadership. You can come alongside your neighbor. That's what we're called to do anyway. So even though you may feel like you don't have hope now, there is hope, and the hope is in the cross, and you're going to experience that when you communion. So, Heavenly Father, we just give you praise and thanks, Lord, <clears throat> for your word, for your son, who paid the price for us and gave us a hope, gives us a hope, Lord. And it doesn't matter what we're going through, Lord, that we can be relieved, be released from whatever burden is upon us, Lord. And so, Lord, as we take of this cup, <clears throat> we just pray that you would move in a mighty way and reveal to us that which we need to unload, that which we need to change. Um, and remind us that which you have control of, Lord, that we can release, that we can open our hands and just turn it loose. And so, Lord, I just thank you for your word and these people here. And we just lift this up in your son's name. Amen.